just ask the Lord's blessing on our time and a word of prayer one more time. Father, it is a busy time. There are probably many ovens that are on and turkeys cooking even now. We ask, Father, that you would quiet and still us that we may behold the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen. There are some things that deserve our attention in a special way. There are some things we should behold. That's an old word that we don't use very much. To behold something is more than just to, to look at it. It's to, it's to look intently. It's to look long. It's, it's to look reflectively. Two times I've stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and I can tell you that I did more than just look. I beheld. And I want you to behold Jesus this morning. Now, of course, you cannot behold him with your eyes. He is not here. He is risen and he is reigning at God's right hand at the heavenly places, even right now. But you can behold him with eyes of faith through the word of God. God wants you to behold him this morning. And in beholding him, to worship and adore him for who he is and what he's done. Would you turn with me to John chapter 1? John chapter 1. John's towards the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're using those blue Bibles in front of you, uh, that's on page 886. And let me read for you Verses 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent spies, sent priests from, and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Who are you then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him. Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He 
These things took place in the Bethany, in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day when he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I have two points for you this morning. Two truths that I want to lift up before your spiritual eyes about Jesus. Number one, he is God himself. And number two, he takes away your sin. And I take this just right out of the text. Did you notice what John said when he saw him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My goodness, what a statement. So let's get into it. Who is Jesus? What what kind of man can take away sin? I know it's the tendency of Time Magazine or some other major news source to ask that question, who is Jesus? They typically ask it at Christmas or at Easter, and then they run an article on it. And you could read it, but honestly, friends, you'd be better off reading primary sources yourself, and that's just what we have in John's gospel. Notice what the religious leaders asked John the Baptist in verse 19. Who are you? John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus. And there was such a buzz about his ministry, so many Israelites responding to him, that the religious leaders begin to ask themselves a question, who is this guy? Is is this guy the Christ, the one the Old Testament promises will come? And to their question, John is clear, I am not the Christ. Well, if you're not the Christ, are you Elijah? Now, They're literally thinking, are you Elijah raised from the dead? And in one sense, John is Elijah. God promised to send a prophet like Elijah before Jesus comes. And that is John. We saw that last week. Jesus himself says so in Matthew 11. But that's not what these guys are thinking. They're thinking he's literally Elijah raised from the dead because he preaches like him and he dresses like him. Are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? That's another name associated with the promised one in the Old Testament. And John says again, I am not. Well, then who the heck are you? And John's answer begins to pull the curtain back on the identity of Jesus. Verse 23, 
I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. Now, the passage that John quotes, Isaiah 40, in that passage, God himself promises to come to his people. God himself, Yahweh, the Lord God, the creator and maker and sustainer of the entire universe, God himself says, I will come to you, and before I come, I will send a messenger before me to prepare the way. Now, John quotes this in reference to himself preparing the way for Jesus. So in Isaiah, a messenger prepares the way for the Lord God Almighty. And John says, that's me preparing the way for Jesus. And so who is Jesus? He is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus is God. You see another snapshot of his identity in what John says in verse 30. Throw your eyes back on that for just a minute. After he identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, he says this. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So Jesus ranks before him. And this is getting at Jesus' superiority to John. Jesus is so superior to John that in verse 27, John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. By the way, it would be servants who would untie sandals. And so John says, he's so superior to me, I'm not even worthy to be his servant. But then notice what he says at the very end. After me comes a man who ranks before me, Because he was before me. Now, please be clear. John the Baptist was actually born before Jesus was born. Luke 1 tells us that John's mother was pregnant five months before Mary was pregnant. Jesus is not before John in birth order. So is John just an ignoramus here? No. He certainly was Before John. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John 1.1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. John 1.14. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He has existed from all eternity because he is God himself. This is why I had us read the Nicene Creed this morning. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. God of God, light of lights, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Is that just a bunch of theological jargon? No. It's the clear teaching of the Bible. We believe in one God 
who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and glory of glory, mystery of mystery. God himself, some 2,000 years ago, humbled himself and took on flesh. The eternal God became a man and lived and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Behold him this morning. Behold the baby born to Mary. He is more than a baby. He is the very one who placed each star in the sky. In Jesus, God has come. In Jesus, God has come. And then even more wonderful... Because God coming is quite frightful, actually. Even more wonderful is what God has come to do. What did John say when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has come to take away your sin. And that is somehow connected to him being the Lamb of God. And so let's take time to behold him as the Lamb for a moment. This is actually one of the most pregnant word pictures in all the Bible. And I want you to behold it in three steps. Number one, the Lamb promised. Number two, the Lamb crucified. And then number three, the lamb victorious. So let's think about the lamb promised. You know, if you were there that day and you you heard John make that proclamation about the lamb of God, the first thing to pop into your mind would have been the Passover lamb. You, you You would have thought about that dreadful final plague God sent upon Egypt in Exodus 12 at midnight on an appointed day the angel of the Lord promised to go through all of Egypt and in an act of judgment take the life of every firstborn in every house and there's only one way of escape it's through the Passover lamb Each household was commanded to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and spread its blood over the doorposts of that house and then enter into the refuge of that house, covered as it were by the blood of that lamb. And then when the angel of the Lord passed by and he saw the blood, he passed over and judgment did not befall that house. What's that about? It's an enacted promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, what Jesus came to do is not what so many in that day expected him to do. They expected a conqueror to free them from Rome. They got a lamb who came to free them from their sin. The promise of a lamb is actually a promise of a sacrifice. 
And this promise actually goes much further back than Exodus. I think of Genesis 22. God commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac. He was the son of promise. And he commanded him to offer him up as a sacrifice. Abraham obeyed and he took his son on a three-day journey. They got to the mountain. And when they went up, Isaac looked at his father and he said, Father, I see the, I see the fire and I see the wood, but, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb, my son. Abraham didn't sacrifice his son. He was stopped at the last moment by the angel of the Lord. And when he lifted up his eyes, he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And he sacrificed that animal in substitute for his son. One commentator He notes that this episode kind of sums up the entire Old Testament. Isaac's question, where is the lamb? And Abraham's answer, God will provide the lamb. That's the entire Old Testament, friends. And then John's statement, behold the lamb. That's the entire New Testament. You see, what the Bible makes clear is that sin must be paid for. To sin is to break God's law. Breaking God's law cannot go unpunished. That's why you have the sacrificial offerings in the Old Testament. Because offerings must be made for the forgiveness of sin. But at the same time, those offerings can't really take away sin. Hebrews 10.4 tells us explicitly it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Well then, why offerings? Because it's an enacted promise of a greater sacrifice to come. Where's the lamb? God himself will provide the lamb. I think of nowhere this promise of a lamb is more explicit than Isaiah 53. Would you just turn there with me? We'll read this through, and we'll read it through tonight. So if you come, you'll have the pleasure of hearing it again. Isaiah is after Psalms and Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament. So it's after Psalms and Proverbs, and it's before Jeremiah Pick up in chapter 53, verse 1. Isaiah promises a servant of the Lord will come. And this servant, by the way, is Jesus. And I want you to gaze at him in this text. Verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Behold the Lamb, church. This baby whose birth we celebrate at Advent. He is the promised lamb. Come to die, that man no more may die. And this takes us to his crucifixion. In many ways, Isaiah 53 is a long, sustained reflection on the realities of what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Did you notice how substitution language just overflows the banks of this chapter? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is your substitute sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, what you deserve and what I deserve is death, but Jesus died in our place. I wonder if you noticed how all of this was God's plan. 
yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. What's that about? Well, it's about one of your favorite verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I wonder if you notice that that forgiveness comes through his death. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. What's that peace there? What's What's that healing there? It's peace with God. It's healing from the cancer of sin that destroys you from the inside out. Because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2.24 Behold the Lamb, church. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter 1.18 Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. Jesus is the ultimate substitute for Isaac. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sin to whom all other things pointed. Are you beginning to see just how biblically rich this lamb theme is? Are you beginning to see just how much of a mic drop this was when John introduced him to the world as the lamb of God? But at the same time, it's kind of depressing. I mean, the thing about sacrificial lambs is that they die. Don't get too attached. That's kind of the end for a sacrifice. And yet that isn't the end for Jesus Christ. He rose. And because of that, we will behold him not just as the lamb slain, but as the Lamb victorious. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. It's the last book in your Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Pick up in verse 1 and consider this incredible scene. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll with its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and priests and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And they fell down and worshiped. That's what I hope you're doing right now. Just worshiping. Beholding the Lamb with eyes of faith. This baby is God Himself. Come to die. Come to rise. Come to take away your sin. This is Christmas, beloved. We need no gifts. We need no special meals. We have the gift of Christ. We have the feast of Christ. This is our joy. This is our light. This is our life. And if you're not a Christian, behold him this morning with eyes of faith. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Look upon the Son this morning. Behold Him. Place your trust in Him. And be saved. He has done everything. Just behold Him. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for the gift of your Son. What an unspeakably wonderful and undeserved gift he is. Sent from your hand. Sent to us who don't deserve him. I praise you for your kindness and love poured out to us through him. In Jesus' name, amen.